listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. You're joined by myself, Lawson. You're also joined by my co-host for this whole week, Matthew. Just getting it done in the studio this morning. I received grace. What did I do to deserve this privilege? <laughs> no, nah, we're stoked to have you here, bro. Hey, also coming into our second hour, I want to give a shout out to Collie Western Australia. Wow, Col- Collie, Collie Western Australia. Shout out to all our people out there out west listening on 88.0. How do you spell that? C O L L I E. Oh, like a border collie. Like a border collie. Essentially the same. C-O-L-L-I-E. Shout out to all our people out there in collie living their best lives. Hey, you're listening to The Breakfast Show this morning. Maybe you know collie. Maybe you've been to collie. Maybe you're from out west. Let us know. Let us know how you are doing today. You're joined by myself, Lawson. We've got Matthew. And Matthew, can you get for us our next quiz question? Honoured. And the next quiz question is this. Where does wisdom that is pure, peaceable, and gentle come from? Mm. So where does wisdom that is pure, peaceable, and gentle come from? Mm. Hey, if you know the answer to that one, 0491 is the number to text. And you can go into the draw to win our amazing prizes for this week. We have a few things to give away. Yes, please. We have a morning devotional and an evening devotional. And I think it's like if you just want to start the morning and end it off, with Jesus, like this is a perfect prize to have. That is so cool. You know what I find interesting about what you just shared, Brother Lawson, is the mm. fact that that it's got to do with my sermon coming up in two weeks over there at Muscle Book. Mm. And it has to do, yeah, it kind of spun out when you said the morning devotion, the evening devotion, because in the sanctuary, mm. that, it's connected to the, the beginnings of that, which is the morning and evening Sacrifice. Mm. Oh wow! Yeah. Hey, man, we we are getting into it this, this morning. Yeah, the morning and evening sacrifice. And hey, well, Jesus is our sacrifice. He has given His life for us, and it was particularly interesting to talk with Brad. Uh, with Brad, I should say, Ooh. Brad. Brad to about questions over the law, over morality, and furthermore over grace and how it is that law and grace functions. And I feel like what. Brad was getting at is a truism that very much many of us, whether religious or not, understand and we would like to see, which is that your actions speak louder than words. And I mean in the sense that religiously convicted people who confess Christ and confess you know, the well, confess the Bible and confess a Savior in Jesus, they are being looked upon by people around them to act righteously, to act morally, and to say that, oh, actually, we can go and break the law because the law has no bearing on us. It's like, this is... This is representing Christ incorrectly. This is representing grace incorrectly. It's representing responsibility incorrectly. You know, Jesus wants to bolster us in our efforts and in our existence as free moral agents. He's wanting us to be able to, you know, interact and and have some level of autonomy that is positive. Like he wants to give us freedom and out of that freedom, we make decisions that are good. And so again, God isn't wanting to restrict us, but when we live by the law of liberty, we actually can experience freedom. It's slight restriction for great freedoms. Absolutely. And it's interesting that he mentioned that 
how is this liberty when it talks about um, you know the law is the law of death as well and mm. and and, and it, uh, that's a, a captivity in that sense. But he's trying to share the context in terms. It depends on where you're at with the law. So, for instance, if you're doing you know all these works and things like that, you're tied in still. Mm. We're trying to obtain favor. That same favor that Brad alluded to, it's already done when God gave his grace. He's giving you something you don't deserve until you recognize that he has done something that you will appreciate. Mm. And I think that was powerful that he brought it, brought us back to those basics. Mm. Um, when is it the law of liberty? When, as he shared, you know, the John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's when we appreciate the grace, it, it frees us from any of those consequences because we recognize as sinners we are we are undeserving of God's favor. Mm. We are undeserving of salvation. We would rather pay any consequence to maintain our, our right relationship with Him. Mm, absolutely. And the other you know, the kind of the other heart wants to escape sin and punishment. It fears consequence. It's just human nature. I mean, I remember when um, I was deserving of the belt. I try and hide somewhere mm. and run. <laughs> yeah, classic. You know, I, I don't want to hang around for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The idea of a stinging backside or, or, or mm. leg or, or the other doesn't appeal very well. We, we don't associate well with pain, but God mm. does. So much so, he took the pain on the cross with those mm. stripes. Um, just another thought that hit my mind. I remember there was a, a message I heard, and it went something like this. The, the enemy of God, you know, old two horns I call him, mm. he, he had this notion that, God can neither be gracious nor um, justice at the same time. He, he could never be all law and all grace. Mm. He could never be one or the other. And the cross showed that he could He's be both. both. Yeah. He could be both. That there's that beautiful verse in Psalms 85, verses 10 to 13. It says, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness mm. shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield to its increases. Just like how you said people can be moral without realizing that, that all source of goodness and love, it's coming from God. Mm, absolutely. We've got a text in here from Wayne. He says, good morning, Lawson and Matthew. Blessings. How does this sound? The world has... It you know was holy, therefore God dwelt on earth. Then iniquity was found, you know, on the earth. It was founded here, and sin took place. Well, we know that iniquity originally, you know, was in was found actually in the heart of Satan himself. You know, his own struggle, and then we see that he spread that here to this earth in the Adam and Eve, the story, of the fall in Genesis chapter three. Mm. This world became sin. We are born into sin. Therefore, we are sin. We inhabit sin as an existence. In the courts of the world, punishment for sin is death. Through Jesus' grace, through Jesus' grace, taking the punishment of death for this uh, world and you and for the world and you and I. A new birth was given. We are no longer under the courts of sin of the sinful world, but under no law, only living under love, as Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And we accept this judgment in faith through Jesus's grace. I think there's lots of sentiments of this text message that I agree with, and it's particularly referencing the verse in Romans that says that we are no longer under law, but right. under grace. And that is because... Once accepted, you no longer receive the penalty of law. Absolutely. Now, this is the thing is, as we're talking about, we're afforded divine grace. Therefore, we should live 
up to that grace. We should be blessed by that grace and be encouraged to then, you know, live a good life according to the law that there is. But in terms of the penalty of that law, where we're no longer needing to suffer it. And, and furthermore, it's, it's that we now get to, to get another go. We get it. We, we truly get a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a one millionth while we're here on this earth to repent and to actually love people. And that love, and this is what's so key though, that love is defined according to the law. Absolutely. It is loving to not steal from people. It is loving to not kill people. It is loving to not commit adultery. It is loving to not lie. <laughs> talking, about, talking about this and a bit with uh, this and Santa yesterday. It, it's loving to not lie. It's loving to not be covetous. Yes. It's it's loving to treat your parents right. Absolutely. Every single system of law in this world agrees with this thing. Yet we all fall short. That's the presence of sin. Yes. Jesus has given us the grace to overcome that and to be able to. And I love this too, because it's the grace that we are immediately, the word is justified. Yes. We're justified. We're forgiven. But then furthermore, we go through the experience of sanctification. <laughs> it is Jesus's job to work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to overcome sin. Oh, I love that. I love how you just shared to work mm. in us. And I've, I've learned from this book called um, His Robes or Mine. And in that mm. book, it shows that if we're trying to do things outside of ourselves, like say an unchanged heart, or mm. we're trying to do good, yet um, behind the scenes, we're still doing evil. It, it's not showing genuine conversion. It's just what you're doing essentially is performing. It's just in a performance. But God is interested not in that outward, outward change. He's interested in that inward heart transformation because he knows once he can able to t- get your heart all good things can spring forth from the inside out mm, absolutely got another text message here from Yahanna. she says a god or mercy is a god unjust is what matthew is that what matthew is thinking of i read in a commentary recently oh we'll get back to this right after this message you're listening to the breakfast show Connect with us on 0491-064-669. Hey, we continue on here. A God all mercy is a God unjust. Is that what Matthew was thinking of? I read in a commentary recently when preparing a lesson on repentance. So this person is making a Bible study. That's awesome. We had asked the question, since God's love and mercy towards sinners are so great, will he not save even the unrepentant? This is such a good question. This is such a good question. Thank you for giving this to us, Johanna. This is something that I've encountered with people. I've had conversations about, like, if God is so loving, then how can anyone be lost? Mm. And the answer ultimately is, this is the thing. God is so loving. God is so just. God makes everything so clear. And he is so exact in his judgment that at the end of the day, when the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that God is good, that is both those who are saved and those who are lost. And I am, I'm not a universalist. I, I don't uh, subscribe to universalism in the sense that every single person will be saved. Right. That's right. I just don't believe that the Bible teaches that. There's too many verses that you'd have to explain away. No, there is a judgment. There are the saved. There are the lost. There are those who are getting to experience eternity with Jesus and those who are, you know, we are staunchly here on, uh, at Faith FM. We are what you'd call annihilationists. We believe in the total annihilation of the wicked, not the perpetual and continual suffering and torture of the wicked. Mm. Uh, but 
yeah, we we see that. Okay, you either ha- you receive the positive judgment, which is eternal life with Jesus, or the negative judgment, which is total and utter death. That is based wholly and solely on your decision. Right. Now, and a Calvinist would argue against that and say, no. Basing that on a decision, that's a work. God is in control of everything. Predestination. Predestination, that's right. But the reality is, is that you are responsible for that decision because God has done everything he possibly can to enable you to make the right one. And even when we see the picture of the very end of time, we see the new Jerusalem at the end of the millennium, and it's the saints are on the inside of the city and the lost are on the outside of the city. And what do the lost decide to do? Well, they decide to attack the city. At that point, they have been, you know, we might be getting into stuff that you might be unfamiliar with, but what we see there in this scene is that at that point, the, the lost have gone through judgment. They've seen that everything that they've seen their sins. They've seen the fact that again, their sins that making up for their sins isn't an act of works. Mm -hmm. It's an act of choosing Jesus and choosing repentance and letting him work in your heart. They've foregone that decision. They've foregone that opportunity. Then they're there. They're in this final conflict. And what do they decide to do? Do they decide at that point? Before the end of their lives to say, okay, no, God, you're actually right. I should have given my life to you. No, 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 no. They decide to attack the saved, attack the city. And we see that they're ultimately destroyed. We see that their decision is so galvanized. Uh, and, and again, from the perspective that they've had every single opportunity, it is so galvanized in them that they won't choose another way. Not that they can't choose another way, refused. but they have refused. Oh, they man. have refused. They have made a decision. And, and if God, quote-unquote, saves those people and takes them to heaven, my friends, that would be eternal punishment. Yeah. They do not want to be there. They've proven through their words. They've proven through their actions. They've proven through the refusing of every single opportunity that could be afforded them that they did not want to be in heaven. And it would be unjust. It would actually be unfair to them. Yes. To put them there, not in the sense of like, oh, it's unfair to you for me to, you know, not make you <laughs> like, um, I, I used to have a personal trainer. He would, he, he would coach me for running. He'd be like, oh, it's unfair for you, Lawson, for me to shorten the lengths of your runs. But you know, you need to do the whole thing because <laughs> like you need to, you need to be able to be as fit as possibly, uh, as you possibly can. Um, no, 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 no. We're not talking about in some kind of teaching way. We're talking about it's unfair for them because they just, they don't want to be in heaven. Yeah. It's something I, I, I totally agree. Like, get this one. One of my family members, so I'm not going to name and blame and shame them. <laughs> um, they, I said to them, you know, mum, there's only, oh, I mean, um, there's one, you can only take one thing back with you, it's your character. Mm-hmm. It's your character. And, um, and this loved one said, oh, I don't believe that. Okay, I believe, uh, you know, whatever I'm struggling, struggling with, when, just as Jesus comes back in the clouds, I'll, I'll change in an instant. Mm. So, so if whatever I'm suffering with, say I like my meat, or whatever it is, <laughs> God will give me a vegetarian tongue. <laughs> Um, right as he yeah, you really me. want to prepare for heaven, hey man? Because this, this, mate, we're not going to be eating eating meat up there. That's funny as. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, <laughs> it goes to what you're actually saying, um, Lawson, which is there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to, you know, living the way you want in excess pleasure, and then expect make me a saint, Lord, as he mm. comes down in the clouds. You know, it, it's a process. 
that takes time. Because if not, mm. like you, you like I can hear clearly, you're saying that if we do not take these character defects seriously and go through character formations, go through these crucibles, which are great for us, we're going to see heaven as a place of misery. Yeah, well, I think because the reality is, is that we do we do experience change when Jesus comes back. We need to have balance on this. Like the thief on the cross was hanging on a cross, charged with murder, and was promised paradise. Yes, he made it that time. He has no. He did not get baptized. Yes. <laughs> he did not. He did not. He did not tithe. Yeah. He he didn't uh, participate in his community, he, evangelism. In community evangelism. He didn't give any Bible studies. He wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't part of the the praise and worship team at church you know he didn't he, like yet he was afforded grace he was god sees where it is that we're going but ultimately our lives tell a story of the opportunities that have been afforded us and whether we've accepted those opportunities or not based on our want and our desire to walk with jesus and that in and of itself and this was the big uh, conversation around calvinism versus arminianism or whatever it's is faith is a decision is a decision a work? And I would wholeheartedly say, no, I think the ability to to hold up that decision, the ability to to persist in that decision, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and divinely assists us. And we see this a beautiful scene in the Gospels where you know you have this dad, he's got this epileptic son, he's praying for his betterment. Jesus says to him, by faith, you know, by by believing, like all things can can happen and, and your son will be healed. And he responds, he says, Jesus, I believe. I've made a decision to believe. But help my unbelief. Yes. Lord, I don't know. I, I can get discouraged. I don't know if I can be faithful. Um, be, can, you know, continue in this. Yeah. And Jesus says, you know, and, and the miracle happens. And what we see there is that we can make those initial decisions. It's then Jesus' job to supplement those decisions with his love, with his grace. And so we need to definitely to balance that out. But it's, we need to be persistent in that, in those decisions when opportunity Arises absolutely, absolutely, and just talk about those opportunities. One of the uh, verses that I find here, it's Romans chapter one verse sixteen, and it's so powerful because it allows me to see that grace is not just something that we cliche cling to. Because we, you know, they, we can go to extremes. We can go extreme law. We can go extreme grace. Um, you know, where's the fine tuning balance? And this is the first time I've seen which connects to the, um, you know, that John fourteen fifteen, the one that says, "If you love me, keep my commandments." That's the power. That's the fuel. Uh, the love response to God. And that verse we have here. Did you know that grace is a power, Lawson? Mm. It's a power because it says here, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power." It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So I've, I've kind of learned grace ought not to just liberate us and mm. make us just sit on the, you know, on the fence or mm. take a, a, a reclining chair and just sit yeah. back. Grace ought to fuel us yeah. to stay in the favor of God. And that, that short part, you know how the verse says, we all have fallen from the um, short of the glory, mm-hmm. glory of God. Mm. What is that glory? It's that, it's, it's, it's his image. It's his character. Yeah. That's the glory. Who makes up the difference? Christ. Yeah. If we connect to Christ, like you would know this one for sure. I know you don't. Mm. Um, we talk about two principles. You know, one of them is um, righteousness. Um, in, imputed, righteousness imparted. I love mm. that because I never knew what that was. Mm-hmm. It just flew over my head. And up the basic, you put it down, the basics, which is justification, just as if I had not sinned. Mm. That's Jesus putting on, you know, inputted, putting on his righteousness on you. Mm. Then what's his imparted kind of complex theology? Mm. Imparted means that after the justification, there's a sanctification. That's the 
part by part by part, becoming more like Jesus every day. And I see my walk as a, a one-sided mountain with hills in it. It's up and down, up and down, but it's going towards heaven. Yeah, that's right. And sin becomes less and less essential or important to me. Yeah, and I love that furthermore, like what we can be so stoked about and what can be so appreciated from our lives and what we can reflect on even in heaven is that there, it is important to live a life and to be to take the opportunities that are afforded to us by Christ because our legacy affects eternity. And what is it? Is it a legacy of the economy? No, 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 no. It's our legacy of how we lived out the Christian life and how that was used by Jesus to reach people. That affects eternity. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Being joined by myself. Lawson, we've got Matthew in the studio as well with us. Matthew, we're going to quickly just go over our last question and then do the final question as well. Well, by last, I mean the previous question that we did, just to make some clarification there and then yep. go over the final question too. So if you can get that for us. Yeah, we're going to rehash this one and we're going to open it up um, mm. because of our listeners. We thank mm. you for what, actually listening, listening in our listeners because you mm. help us to see what your need is. Mm. And we're going to do that right now. So the question is, where does wisdom that is pure peaceable and gentle come from mm. and the confusion we're getting i think is focused wondering is that the passage mm. or you know is there an actual more specific yeah answer? yeah so, what, what well what is the the answer from, from the passage from the passage of where do now if you've referenced the passage you know good for you bible students that's amazing but yeah. where does that passage say that Wisdom that is pure, peaceable, and gentle come from. So zero four nine one zero six four six six nine, and then give us the last question here as well. I will, and just had a bit of a brainstorm, mm-hmm. a light bulb moment. Back mm-hmm. to that question. So what we're looking for, friends, too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. Wilson. We're not, we're not, we're saying something like this: Is it coming from an item or a person? There you go. Does that help? <laughs> sure. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> hey, let's get yeah, a, a, lo- uh, yeah, a location wherever it may yeah. be. Hey, so, get the next one the next for one? us if you can. Okay. Jesus compares himself to a mother hen. Now, is that true or false? Jesus compares himself to a mother hen. Guys. Now, now has he compared himself to uh, a mother hen? That could help as well. Yeah, yeah, Hey, it's true or false, T or F, you could send in if you know the answer to that one. Again, 0491-064-669, our uh, prizes for this week being, we've got two amazing prizes, a morning devotional and an evening devotional where you can spend time with Jesus in during oh, those times and especially going into the new year and and connecting with God as you live life. But hey guys, amazing, awesome. We are going to continue on with the show and getting into a bit of our Bible study today. Would you maybe be able to pick up for us uh first Corinthians sorry, not first Corinthians, Acts chapter seventeen and would you be able to read, let's see, verses 18 through 21. We're going to just be, we, we had a look into Acts chapter 17 yesterday. Now we're going to pick apart a bit of what's happening there. So okay. 18 through 21, if you can get that for us. Gladly. Those verses are, Then a certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and said, uh, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they looked, oh sorry, and they took him and brought him to the Arapagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. Mm. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time 
in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Mm. Okay, so they listen to Paul speak. Yep. And they have some they take they take issue with Paul. Like, man, you're speaking weird stuff. Yeah, you, babbling. You're babbling, dude. <laughs> and what is the particular topic that causes them to think that he's a bit of a babbler or that he's his doctrine that he has to share is strange? Yeah, so he's what my my kind of thesis is yeah. is that they 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 kind of um they're talking within the boundaries of what they know according to their beliefs structure. Mm. So they're familiar with their speech. Here comes Paul with a different set of references in terms of values and mm-hmm. principles that mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't ride with them. Sure, it's, it's totally out of alignment. Mm-hmm. That's why they go, "What? What? That's confusing. What you're saying, Paul? Mm. You, you're not one of us, obviously." Yeah. So that's how I'm throwing that spin in. And yeah, no, absolutely. And this, I guess, the specific area in which they make that point, where they're like, "You're a babbler," is trying to explain to them the resurrection. Yes. Uh, and they don't believe what, so many of them don't believe it. They don't believe it. Yeah. And this is something that Paul would express in first Corinthians chapter 15. It was something that he was continually having to make some kind of consideration or, or some kind of uh, clarification over because it affected often, not only like he's, he's interacting with Greeks here who aren't Christians, but then Greeks that would become Christians, particularly in the area of Corinth. Yes. He would, constantly be dealing with issues over interpretation of the idea of the resurrection. So would you be able to go for us 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and could you read verse 12? Yeah, well, 1 well, Corinthians well, 15 well, verse 12 and 13, maybe you can get for us there okay. as well. I'm turning there. I'll crack a bit of a joke because for the <laughs> resurrection. You, you know what the uh, beliefs of the Sadducees were? Uh, they, they, they didn't believe in a resurrection. That's right? why they were sad, you see? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, if we didn't believe in resurrection, we would be sad. Nah, that was a good one, Matthew. But um, do we have a boomts button? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we do. It's uh, we, we have a bunch of buttons here in the studio, but hey, boomts. Hey, there you go. <laughs> hey, you're listening to The Breakfast Show this morning. And so do you want to get that for us? First Corinthians chapter 15, 12 and 13. Okay, it says this. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurre- resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. Mm, absolutely. And it continues on. Verse four, actually, read verse 14 for us as well. Love to. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Wow. So... Christ being risen and then that reflecting in the resurrection of the saints, the resurrection of the dead, is so crucial to Paul that, again, approaching the Areopagus, approaching these philosophers, he's like, this is mandatory for me to preach here, yeah. the resurrection of the dead. Now, we talked a little bit yesterday, I profiled some of the different voices and perspective, whether there's the Platonist voice who says that we have an immortal soul that goes to heaven forever, uh, whether that is the Stoic voice that says death is the end, whether that's the Epicurean voice that believes in some level of soul. They don't believe in any innately mortal soul, but they do believe in transcendence from the body. All of these different beliefs cancel out the perspective of resurrection. Can I just throw in a thought? Sure. But what they all have in common, correct me if I'm wrong, you'd know this because um, I'm studying at Avondale, mm-hmm. uh, but they all are speaking in a Greek language 
they kind of can credit each other with and bounce off each other with. Because Paul's obviously come in, come in. He's not using any of that sort of language. Well, he? he would be speaking Greek. Yeah. Uh, Paul would, you know, the, the Greek world at that time would be speaking Greek and he would be using the Greek word for resurrection. But the doctrine is foreign to them because their systems of philosophy don't make allowance for it. They're not necessarily saying that Paul is babbling in terms of he's going buh, 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 buh. And they're like, yeah. what is he? No. no, but they're saying like, your ideas are so counterintuitive to our perspective. Like this is this is where they're really coming from. And Paul is sharing here, and, and it's a consistent problem with Greek Christians, and a consistent problem all the way up until today as to what people's perspective on resurrection is. Particularly, we come to the end of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and it says, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, but, you know, it, it talks about the resurrection from there, and there are some perspectives that are like, oh, so what this means is that we shed a mortal body. Well, we shed not only a mortal body, but a, a, a material existence for an immortal soul. Uh, but when we, I, I think that there are some modern, more contemporary um, expositors and also ancient expositors uh, and historical expositors of the Bible who are like, no, 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 no. We shed sin. This is, this is the ultimate thing. And, and this is what the Greeks didn't have a perspective of. They're like, how can the body be without death? And they all, all of them, came up with a solution for this, whether it was Plato saying there's an immortal soul that sheds the body, whether it's the the Stoics saying that, oh, well, when you die, you just die because you can't get around. They could observe. They were very solid in their reasoning. They're like, we observe death. Death is the reality. But what Paul is preaching and what is so counterintuitive about it is like, Jesus, God has come to do something greater than death. God has come to rewrite the laws of nature, which again, Greeks, many of them were naturalists. He's come to rewrite nature and he's come to solve the problem of death. That is through the death of God himself, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where he puts away death, he beats death and grave, and he solves this forever. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And it's come time for us to... Mate, we've got no more questions. We're out of questions, friends. Just answers for you guys. You know, comforting, wonderful, amazing answers. Can you run through them for us if you could get that for us, Matthew? Yeah, it would be a privilege. Mm. So what creature was killed on a snowy day by the son of Jehoiada, Benaiah? That was B, friends. That was a lion. Mm. Good old B. Mm. Fill in the blank. Then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So yeah, darkness was the answer in that blank space, friends. Going to our third question. Fearing the effect of Paul's preaching on their idol-making business, a group from what occupation stirred up a riot in Ephesus? And that's silversmiths. Mm. I hope I'm not related to them because my last name's Smith. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Where does wisdom that is pure, peaceable, and gentle come from? From above. Mm. From God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was both a place and from God himself, the source mm. of pure peace, gentleness as well. So Jesus compares himself to a mother hen. Is that true or false? Well, remember that classic verse? Um, As a hen would gather her chicks, you would not. Mm, yeah, I'm just looking this passage up now because honestly, like I read this passage and I see a Jesus that is distressed yeah you know he is this is in the later chapters of matthew he is heading towards 
the end of his life, essentially. He's coming into Jerusalem, and it's very soon that he is going to die. Mm. And he looks over the city, and, and throughout Matthew 23, about to go into Matthew 24, getting to end-time prophecy and whatnot, Matthew 23, he's been saying, woe to the scribes and the Pharisees and, and you know, their failure to lead the nation towards me, towards God. You Absolutely. know, he, he's, he's bummed, he's upset, and he's sad. And we come to 37, verse 37 in Matthew 23, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those and stones those who are sent to her. I don't feel like he's he's saying this in a sense of like, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. No. <laughs> Silly Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets, lol. <laughs> like, nah, dude. Like, he is... Grieving. He's grieving. Yeah. He's looking at this nation because he he's about to... Well, he's been telling them and expositing about, and he's about to go into furthermore in Matthew 24, the destruction of Jerusalem, yes. the destruction of the temple, and, and that coming as a result of Jerusalem and, uh, and of Israel's rejection of him as the Christ. Yeah, what's beautiful, you, you mentioned about in that verse, um, uh, you who stand as the prophets. Mm. Do you remember that verse in John chapter 5, verse 39? The one says, um, you search the scriptures mm. and hear and... Um, For in them you think you have eternal life. Yes. But these are they which testify of me. Of me. Yeah. So can you imagine when the Lord says that He sees all these prophecies being fulfilled in Him, mm. and they missed, you know, they missed His birth. Absolutely, um, they missed Him um, when He's being anointed. Mm. They missed the fact that it's been prophesied that He's now going to go to the cross. Mm. And what I find really, really, really intrinsically um, just pretty amazing, we wonder why did the Lord go and spend hours in prayer? And He would do that to prepare Himself. For the for the events ahead, mm. and one of the biggest events that's coming is the ultimate rejection of him. I mean, yeah, I mean, right. I mean. In fact, remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm. I always read that and didn't know who that was talking about. So I asked you now, Lawson, who do you feel is the Good Samaritan in that particular Good Samaritan story? Oh well, it's you know, it's the the foreigner who treats us well, and and for us and for this world, that yes. foreigner is actually Christ it himself. Is. He's the ultimate rejected one. Yeah, well, it's funny how he made himself to be that Samaritan. Yeah, he's a Jew. That's right. But, uh, you know, again, he's walking in Jerusalem and it's not, it's not blase. It's not casual. He's there probably teary, like Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How I wanted to gather your children together as a hen who gathers chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this, what we understand is from this, the message has gone out to the world. Salvation has, has gone to the world. Yet, the world still rejects Jesus. What about this one? When on the cross, Eli, Eli, yeah, yeah, my father, why have you rejected me? But the positive thing is, we can learn from the example of Jerusalem. We can learn from the example of Israel, and rather than rejecting Jesus, we can we can put his we can subside his misery. He's already died for us. Let's choose him today. Number six twenty four to twenty six. Um, you know, brothers and sisters, friends listening on the radio, Jesus loves you. Mm. And this is verse that says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Mm, absolutely. Guys, hey, we've come to the end of our show this morning, but as always, we give away something absolutely for free. I've got a book this morning. It's called Health and 
Wellness by Mark Finley and Peter Landless. Secrets that will change your life. We are wanting you to be happy. We are wanting you to be healthy. We are wanting you to be living your best life, man. Just like, and again, we've been talking about law and grace all day today. You know, the Bible gives insight on health. It does. And it's, you know, again, it's like, okay, well, what obligation do I have to keep it? Do you want to live a happier, healthier life? You've well, been afforded the grace too. You can know what the Bible says. I want to be old enough to play with my kids, not be in some bed on, you know, on yeah, cubes. Yeah, absolutely. And what the Bible this? gives us advice to be able to do that. Hey, 0491-064-669. Again, that number, 0491-064-669. You don't need to answer any questions. Just text the word book to that number and we'll give you this book absolutely for free. Guys, you've been listening to The Breakfast Show and we are hoping that you have a fantastic day. Spend time with Christ and remember to, as you walk through this day, talk faith, live faith, and act faith, and you'll grow strong in God, in Jesus, and everything you believe. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. By His counsel's guide uphold you, with His sheep securely fold you. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.